All right, we're gonna get going. We're running a little bit behind. Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, Johnny's getting me. So if you have your Bibles, can you open them to 1 Corinthians 14? We got a lot to cover tonight, so I'm gonna pray on my intro what we're doing, and we're gonna go for it. Sounds good? That wasn't a question. I should have said it as a question. Sound good? <laughs> okay, Lord, we thank you that you're here, God, that you're in our midst, and we ask that. We will silence our hearts now, God, as we continue to worship. We'll be in a posture to receive and hear the whispers of your love, God. Speak. God, I pray that you will whisper between the words that I even preach so that we will find ourselves ministered to and in communion with you tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we are uh, on the same message, but I'm going to change up kind of the title for the next six weeks. We've been the last four on Agape Love. Who was challenged? Blessed? Encouraged? Purged? Anyone? <laughs> I was. Uh, I preached to myself all week preparing this stuff. So, um, And the context of why I went into Agape Love is we want to build, I'm going to now begin constructing uh, from theologically, experientially, the spiritual culture that we're creating. So I'm going to call the next six weeks uh, pneumaticos, which is the word for spiritual or spiritual gifts. But it literally just is referring to the spiritual, the supernatural, to God's realm, right? So we're going to build the culture that we are going to try to speak to the culture that we're creating, specifically speaking to uh, the spiritual and how that will play in our midst. Um, and we talked about love because love is, 1 Corinthians 13 is, right? Right in the middle of Paul's greatest depiction, uh, explanation of the spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he goes into depth of them, uh, but he, he uh, puts right in the middle, sandwiches it, love. That if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. And so I'm going to tie in, hopefully as I'm speaking into spiritual dynamics, very much tie this into the grounded incarnational reality of love. We've been dealing with junk, with offense, with shame with purity, with speaking the truth in love, with brave communication. This is all very tied to the atmosphere, the culture that gets created in a church. God wants to move. He wants to give his spirit without measure, but he oftentimes can't because there's so much junk. There's so much flesh, carnality. And so we've been dealing with this, trying to get founded into love, purity, wholeness, uh, integrity, so that God can trust us with a climate of where his supernatural activity is very normal in our midst, okay? Does that make sense? So that's where we're going, pneumaticos. So that word, uh, pneumaticos, so here's the scripture for tonight that's going to kind of, this is where I'm going after the next like six weeks, That I, not in order because we got birthday party and yada yada, but you know what I mean. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. I'm going to talk faster tonight because I have a lot to cover, and I don't want to do this in two sermons, so <laughs> Lord help. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 1. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Okay, so pursue love. I'm just going to say this. Keep pursuing love. Keep pursuing agape. Listen to those messages. Go deeper on them. Keep pursuing love. We never stop pursuing love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That word spiritual gifts is just one word, pneumaticos, and it refers to the spiritual or the supernatural. Okay, so earnestly desire the spiritual. That word is strong. It's like a jealous longing. So Paul's saying, pursue love. There's your priority, but earnestly, jealously long for the spiritual, for the supernatural, for spiritual gifts. Okay, and especially that you may prophesy. So, uh, I, 
I'm personally, my call to church, God call me, you're called to revival, right? And so who in here has ever prayed or said we need a revival right now in the church? Who's prayed that? Right, I feel like that's a pretty common term in a lot of church culture. And it comes out of this, right? We see the deterioration of the church in America. And we also see the, even more so the deterioration of culture in America, right? So we pray things like, God, we need a revival. We need a revival, right? Am I like, okay, I want to make sure you're like agreeing with me, okay? Tell me. So we need a revival. What we often don't understand about saying we need a revival is that statement is an indictment against the church and by its nature. Right? It's saying revive means to resuscitate, means to wake up, means to take something that's dead and bring it to life. Right? So the fact that we're always revival, 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 we have to understand that we're actually giving an indictment against the status quo in that very statement. Right? And what that really comes from, it's not like, oh, the church is so crappy. It's, wow, look at the culture of America. We don't just, why are they doing that stuff? That's on us. It's not their job to bring the kingdom of God to earth. It's ours, right? So we need a revival. I agree with that statement. But what you have to understand is if you're praying that and you believe that, you have to be willing to challenge the status quo of what you have experienced up to this point. You have to be willing to hold up your past experiences. What you think is normal, you have to be willing to challenge that. Are you following me? Because what we've experienced as normal is what's creating this. And we say, no, we need revival. Okay, so I'm going to speak over the next weeks, hopefully in a way that will challenge some normalities and create some movement and some change because that is my call. I'm not called to status quo. I'm called to revival. And I believe many of us are called to revival. I'm not saying I'm special in that. I'm just confessing my call. Okay. So we are, uh, we are unashamedly here at Riverhouse seeking to create a supernatural culture, right? People don't like that word because they link it to sensational. We are not trying to link, create a sensational culture, but we are unashamedly trying to create a supernatural culture. Why? Because it is fundamentally just, it doesn't make any sense. It's incongruent to think that God lives inside of me and expect anything but a supernatural existence. I mean, that's like the weirdest. Do you know how weird Christians are? Where does Jesus live? In me. So like, it's even weirder though to say, I think Jesus lives in me, but there should be nothing supernatural in my life. Are you following me? Like this is that doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't really make sense that Jesus lives in you, but we know that's true. Okay, so I'm not trying to say anything about a sensational, I actually despise hype. Most of the altar calls we do, you realize there's no music, there's no like nice fancy anything, there's no smoke machine, right? It's just, I want authentic, this is, this is what a supernatural to me is, an authentic environment where people are beholding God. Right? We're not camping around sermons. We're not camping around songs. We're not camping around anything. We are camping around the manifest presence of God. That's a supernatural environment where the supernatural one is in our midst. And that word supernatural just means above natural. He defies and is far beyond what this world, what our five senses can see, perceive, smell, taste, touch. Right? Okay. 
Uh, just I, this is just to kind of signify that. I had a conversation this week. I can't disclose the person because he's a very private man. Uh, someone I've known a very long time who is probably one of the most unemotional people I've ever met in my life with fear and trembling sat with me this Tuesday, said I've been very, very stressed up at night, couldn't fall asleep, said, and he doesn't even go to church here. Says the Holy Spirit descended upon me, said, and then Jesus was in front of my face. And he said, and he looked at me and said, will you take my hand? It's like, and I held the hand of Jesus, physically held his hand. This is with tears pouring down his eyes, Cafe Zupas, telling me. <laughs> Right? God is alive. Jesus is really alive. So earnestly desire the spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. So that's what I'm going to start with. Prophecy. Because that is the one that Paul exalts as the paramount gift in the body of Christ. And it's also, consequently, the one that's probably the most misunderstood, attacked, and confused. confusion camps around. So for the sake of tonight, uh, I'm going to define prophecy as communication with God, okay? And I'm going to start with this because it is the paramount spiritual gift. And that is because, as John 10 tells us, uh, my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. That's John 10, 4. So in essence, by definition, every Christian that claims to follow Jesus is prophetic because my sheep follow me. Because they hear my voice, right? So this is simple, but it gets real weird in people's minds, okay? Every Christian is prophetic. Gifts of prophecy will vary, okay? Not everyone, like there's different expressions. I'm not going to get into that tonight, but I'm just trying to build a foundational understanding that this is extremely important. That's why especially that you'll prophesy because you can't follow Jesus unless you're in communication with him, unless you're hearing his voice, right? And corporately, 1 Corinthians 14, you're already there. This turn, just scroll down a little bit to verse, um, to verse 4. It says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So there's not just individual implications. There are corporate implications, okay? The church is edified by the prophetic, okay? So this is good. This is why we're going to dig into this. So my goal over the next two to three weeks, I'm not sure how much time, I know what I need to speak, I just don't know how long it's going to take me, is to first create a culture here and an un a theological understanding that gives permission to hear from God and speak his words and also safety where it's not whack town, okay? You know what I mean by that, right? Okay, so I want permission granted, but also safety where it is done properly and in order. Divine order. Which, divine order is differently than man, human order. Human order thinks, there's no mess then, it's, it's order. God, there's a mess, but he's still in control of messes. He's in charge. Okay, so permission and safety, and then lastly, within the context, a life that is perfect. Permission, safety actually talk about how to cultivate a life that is prophetic and operating in the prophetic. Okay, so just a couple verses. I'm going to give you a lot of verses over the next weeks because this stuff's in the Bible. Um, yeah, praise the Lord, right? So on permission here, 
This is, you don't need to turn there. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Permission. Do not despise prophetic utterance. Sometimes I feel like people skip that verse. Do not despise prophetic utterance. I want to create a culture that does not despise this. There's permission. But I want to make this note here. Is Paul speaking this for a reason? He knows there's going to be temptation to despise prophetic utterance. Do you know why? Because it's really messy. It's real messy. And there's a lot of dilemmas. I'm going to try to address some of these, but it can get very messy. But this is the point I want to make because I'm going to pinpoint the prophetic tonight, but, I'm trying, but it could be applied to a lot of different areas where life is messy. We're all messy. And somehow we think when we come to church, it's going to be like perfect. Everything's perfect. That's not life. That's not real. God's in the mess. We can't be afraid of messes. Humanity, our flesh does shut messes down, make it look nice and clean. It's kind of like when we were going to have dinner parties growing up, my mom would be like, get everything together. Right? We're all like, like it's like slave driving for like three hours. Then everyone shows up, ding, welcome to our home. All right, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Okay. So how do we deal with messes? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> All right, and back to 1 Corinthians about um, safety. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 uh, through 31. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who's seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. I'm not going to unpack this. I just want, like, do you see the protocols in place there? Okay, so there's permission, but there are also pro-permission to create safety. So I'm going to focus tonight on permission, and next week I'm going to talk about protocols. Because if you start with protocols and you don't have permission, it just kind of, you know, it's like, it's like you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. What you, it's like, what are you putting protocols on? There's nothing happening, right? So I want to start with permission. Okay, and this is extremely important to me, and I, and I want to speak to this. Why? I'm going to just share my heart with you for a couple minutes, then I'm going to take you into my mind the rest of the time. I, when, I don't share this part of my story very many times because it's extremely difficult to relate with, right? It, it's hard to make people understand um, what happened. But when I was 17, um, I, I have a, the, the prophetic is a gift that's an operation in my life. I did not know that word even existed, even though I grew up in the church my whole life. So I had ignorance, right? It says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I had a lack of knowledge of understanding who I was and how I was gifted. So when hell broke loose in my life, I had this ignorance pertaining to anything spiritual, and I went into a very afflicted season where I began hearing things that were from the pit of hell. And I had never been given permission to hear the voice of God. So you can imagine the fear that it invoked in me when I started hearing all kinds of voices and none of them were God. I thought I was crazy. I thought I had to be in a mental institution. I would go around fields at night screaming in agony that, please, God, will you help me and save me? And I was completely manipulated and spiritually abused 
in this warfare context because I had no idea. It's, it's, I can't make you understand or feel or relate to the depth of suffering that it cost me that I had ignorance. I had no idea who I was. And God in his grace took me on a journey to give me language and definition and understanding for who I was and how my giftings operated. So I, I, I feel an intense burden isn't a strong enough word to say I have to pastor you well and give you permission to hear his voice or else you're vulnerable. Life is in the voice of God, and hell will do anything to sever that connection from the voice of the everlasting one, and it leaves you exposed, vulnerable, and, 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 and you can just, you're tossed by every wind of wave of doctrine because you don't know the voice. So we, it's very personal to me and important that we have a culture of permission. Are you following me? Okay, so the first main thing I want to talk about tonight is there's a covenant shift that took place on the day of Pentecost that was inaugurated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And we are told in Hebrews that we were given a better covenant that rescued me promises. On the day, first day of the church, Peter shares, hey, there's this promise that God's speaking to me. He prophesies out of Joel, which is in the last days, my sons and daughters, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, and my sons and my daughters shall prophesy. So the first, literally the first words that inaugurated the birthday of the church are dealing with the prophetic, okay? And there is, what I'm trying to make sense here is there are better promises. It's a new ministry. There was a covenantal shift, and the prophetic fundamentally changed when it entered into the church of Jesus Christ. And that is because the government of God, the, how God governed his people changed from the old covenant to the new covenant. And I'm going to try to take you point by point these changes as it pertains to the prophetic because until you understand the changes, until you can deconstruct an old covenant paradigm and reconstruct a new covenant paradigm, you are distorted from the beginning. This is what it's like. I've had conversations with people and, and, or heard people talk about the prophetic and they have no idea what they're talking about. And this is how I would equate it. It's like an American football player who gets on a plane and goes to Uganda. And they say, hey, you want to play football with us? Oh, yeah, I'll play football with you. And they start kicking the ball around. And he's like, stop, that's not how you play. You're, why are you, that's round. That's not even the right ball. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, why are you kicking it in the middle? You're supposed to do the kickoff back here. And where are your goalposts at? Right? Like, that, that, you're like, no, 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 dude, we're not playing football. We're playing football. He's like, what are you talking about? Right? This is what happens in the prophetic. People are like, they don't know anything, but they start trying to hold people to these rules and speaking to these things like they're, it's a different, do you see what I'm saying? Well, it's the prophetic. Yeah, but that's not the same thing. It's American football versus football. Right? The prophetic changed. It changed in the new covenant. We have to have an understanding of this or we're speaking ignorantly. Are you following me? Okay. So in the old covenant, there was uh, God's government came through an anointed trio of people, which were priests, prophets, and kings. These were the people. These were the anointed of God. All right, so the anointing of God rests upon them. The Spirit of God would come and rest upon them. The rest were not anointed of God. They were still the people of God, but they were not anointed. Okay, so this anointed trio, actually, they were types of Christ is a theological term, which means they were, they were standing in the position of God leading his people. Right, so they were like from a place of headship. Right, like Moses spoke to the people as if he was, right, he was like the direct mouthpiece of God. Are you following me? 
So they were types of Christ because in the new covenant, who's the head? Jesus is the head, right? No man. The pastor is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. But in the old covenant, the anointed ones were the head of the people of God. Are you following me? Right? So what this means um, is that they, they, there was not a priesthood of believers. Okay, There was the anointed and there was the rest of the people. And so what that meant is that the prophetic was unchallenged because they couldn't challenge it. Not everybody knew God's voice. God didn't speak to everyone. Right? He spoke to the anointed because God communicates through the Holy Spirit, and they were only on the anointed ones. So the prophetic was not challenged. It was from an unchallenged place. Okay, there was a, an authority dynamic where you had a powerful person who had heard from God right, and hopefully was operating in purity, and then he would give the message to a powerless person who could only receive the word. Right, And you can even see it in the language. Thus saith the Lord. It's not like, hey, I felt like God said... You know, that you might, do you want, are you pregnant? You know what I mean? It's like, like you, like you can, you can, you're right, like, who's gotten a word like that before? Like, it's like, come on, just spit it out. Tell me. I can discern it, right? But in the Old Covenant, it's not like that. Thus saith the Lord. How do you challenge that? Uh, I don't know if I feel like that's God. Doesn't matter if you feel like it's God. Thus saith the Lord, right? It's from an authority dynamic. That was the dispensation. That was how authority was distributed in the Old Covenant, right? So what this means is that, do you see the extreme place of authority that the priests, the prophets, and the kings were placed in, right? Extreme. Do you see how they could manipulate people very easily from that point, right? So because of this place of authority and responsibility, God established very clear and direct protocols and with severe consequences for violation, all right, so Deuteronomy 18, I'm just going to read a few verses here that would not make me want to be an old covenant prophet, right? And this is what it says. Okay, it says, um, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I'll put my words in his mouth, da 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 It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I my, myself will require of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously, which also can be arrogantly uh, in my name, which I've not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. There, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing doesn't come about or come true, then that's the thing that the Lord's not spoken. Do you see the clarity? See, it's the judgment. It's right or wrong, right? So basically, they're either getting the word right or they're getting the word wrong. And if you're getting it wrong, uh, it's because you're, you're going to die, right? And this sounds really harsh. This sounds harsh. But let me bring understanding to this. Because right, this is the type of stuff that we start putting on New Covenant prophecy. It's a different game. All right? In the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God did not live inside people. Right? He would come upon people. And the Old Covenant prophets would have receptive encounters. Okay, Receptive encounters. Like the one I shared at the Cafe Zupas on Tuesday. A receptive encounter where Jesus physically came to him and said, will you take my hand? Okay, there wasn't like, oh, I felt like God said, will you take my hand? No, it was like, I saw him and he said, will you take my hand? 
right? You read the experiences, you receive, you read the prophetic literature. They're having receptive encounters, which means they knew exactly what God was saying. So there was only two types of prophecy. There was true prophecy, which was when they were taking what was given and accurately, truthfully communicating it. Or there was false prophecy, which was when they were taking the revelation and intentionally manipulating it for their own selfish gain. Are you following me? It's speaking to intentional manipulation. So we read these words and like, oh, man, that's scary. That's like, man, if I perform bad, I'm going to get stoned. No, no, no. It's not speaking about performance. It's speaking about character. Are you a good heart and are you using the word truthfully or are you deceit? Are you following me? So it's, it's like a character test. And God's like, how do you know? Because you'll know if they messed it up and manipulated it if it doesn't happen. Because they're having a clear, receptive encounter. Does this make sense? So you see false prophecy in the Old Covenant. You have the prophet Balaam who was being paid and saying these things, and the donkey had to correct him. You see in Nehemiah, if you want to study Nehemiah, when he's coming, they send false prophets to tell him things like, hey, let's say the Lord, you need to go hide in the inner sanctuary of the temple, which would have been sin, right? So there's intentional manipulation at play. That is false prophecy, New Covenant and Old Covenant, intentionally manipulating people in the name of the Lord. Okay, so, so shift here for a minute to a new covenant paradigm, new covenant priesthood. So we're cleansed by the blood. We all get filled with the spirit, and now God can be intimate with all of us. My sheep follow my voice because they know my voice. We are the body. Christ is the head. Okay, so there is, and now we're within human beings. It's a headship of Christ, and we are his body. And now we're all anointed. Right? The word Christians means little anointed ones. We are all anointed. This is exciting. This is amazing. Right? And that means that we are, by definition, a prophetic people. And I've talked about this two weeks ago. It's a government of grace. Right? We live in a government of grace where the spirit of God, the spirit of grace is distributed upon each one of us. He's given us all giftings, callings, identities, and together working as one, we form the body of Christ and can grow into maturity. Which means we all have a message to speak. We all have a role to play, and the anointing of God can flow on any single person in this room at any time. Literally, he could fall on someone right now, and, and God starts ministering and speaking somehow through that person, and the, and the word of the Lord moves from the sermon to there are you following me like we're here because we are a prophetic people learning together to hear the voice of the head Jesus Christ and we're all anointed okay but what that means or before I get there what kind of encounters do we have now okay by and large there are still receptive encounters in the body of Christ I just shared one with you at the beginning of the day cafe zupas hold my hand right that's a receptive encounter okay but that is the I don't have a stat for you because I don't know if they even take stats on this stuff. But that is the, like, that's the phenomena. Most encounters we have today are perceptive encounters. Do you know why? Because where does the spirit live? Yeah, what kind of, whose mind do you have? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, you got where inside you? You mean the Spirit of God lives inside you? You mean you have the mind of Christ? Like which voice is yours and which voice is his? I don't know. I'm learning to perceive that. I'm learning to perceive what is God and what is not God. 
Okay, this is, this is the question I had for a long time. That seems like a downgrade. Thought this was a better covenant on better promises. I want those receptive encounters. The person on Cafe Zupas, I said, well, this is amazing, but I'm kind of jealous because you don't even believe in this stuff, really, and you don't even pray for it. I've been praying to see Jesus' face for like 10 years. I'm like, come on, Lord, you know? Like, I want the receptive encounters. Seems like a downgrade. But this is what the Lord has shown me. He's had to renew my mind. In the Old Covenant paradigm, they were servants. John 15, get things disclosed to them. Because servants don't know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends, and friends get things disclosed to them. He invites them into conversation. The Old Covenant prophets, they were, they were servants. It's like God's calling them, Elijah, thus saith the Lord, da 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 Now go, right? And they would relay. They were like relayers of God's words. That's not God's art. God's, his dream is that all my people will know me. And in the new covenant, you don't get to be single anymore. You're married. Because Jesus is like, hey, I'm moving in. <laughs> Here I am, invading all your space. I know everything. And people that are married and people in anybody type of relationship, how good is your communication? If you have good communication, what's that the result of? Time, effort, work, thought, um, you know, like intentionality. How many people say, I don't, I don't understand women. They speak a different language. <laughs> right? I've heard that. What does that mean? Communication isn't just like, hey, hey. It's not like black and white. Right? Anybody seen the movie or the YouTube, it's not about the nail? All right, you know what I mean. It's real complicated. Many levels, right? Colors, full colors. You have to learn to perceive. You have to learn to discern one another. You, I hear people say, yeah, I know what they're thinking right when I see them. I don't even need to speak. Why? Intimacy. In the new covenant, God wants intimacy with his people. So he allows, because in perceptive relationship, that's showing that I want to hear your voice too. I want to know you just like you want to know me. God's about relationship. And that is like is so much more beautiful than this paradigm. Are you following me? Because in here you're just like, okay, I'm receiving. Yep. Right? Here it's like, Jesus, what are you saying? Hey, Jesus, what are you thinking? Hey, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you're wanting me to hear? Right? It's like relationship. It's communication. It's conversation. So in this paradigm, which I think is a huge upgrade, I just want to make, I hope that I made that clear. There's now three types of prophecy. There's true prophecy or excellent prophecy, which is I perceive correctly or I receive correctly and I communicate it truthfully, accurately, right? We've all, most of us have received this. It, it changes you. You know it's God. Uh, there's still false prophecy, which somebody operating in a spirit other than the spirit of God in an intentionally manipulative manner. Right? And let me just say, this needs to be confronted. This cannot be tolerated, not for one day, not for one moment. If I experience this in this church or I hear or I discern that, it will be directly confronted. It's not okay. It's demonic. All right? But now there's a third realm, which is poor prophecy. And this is what poor prophecy is. It is carnal or emotional words intermixed with inspired words of God. Because people perceive incorrectly for a number of reasons. Does this make sense? 
So in the perception of his voice, I perceived I was hearing God, but I didn't. So there's carnality there. It's poor prophecy, which is very different than false prophecy. Right? You say, is that in the Bible? It is. It is. Okay, I already read it for you, but I'm going to read it one more time. First Thessalonians. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterance. But examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Why would Paul tell us to examine everything if, if it was either true or false? Are you following me? That would make no sense. Okay? In the Old Covenant, it says uh, it's unchallengeable. Thus saith the Lord. You'll know if it's true or not if it happens. In the New Covenant, Paul's saying, examine. You actually are given. You have to. He's speaking to discernment. You must discern everything that comes carefully. Weigh it. Weigh it to the word of God. And only hold fast to that which is good. Following me? It's showing that there's, 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 it's not black and white. It's not judgment anymore. There's colors. There's a process of discernment. Okay? So this is probably the most important point I'm going to make for a lot of people, and I need to make it like a lot of times. In the New Covenant, prophetic experiences. If I went to somebody and said, I feel like God has a word for you. This, it is not a, I'm coming with the word and you're passive to receive and powerless. It's now two equals, two anointed ones, two members of the body of Christ who both hear the voice of God, discerning, perceiving his voice together. Are you following me? I'm going to bring to you what I'm perceiving, and then you have a responsibility to perceive it in the reception. Are you following me? We, we, this is one of the, we, we miss this stuff sometimes, and this is part of what we have to get our minds renewed on. Okay, so discernment. Paul is speaking in this Thessalonians passage to the need of discernment. Is everybody following me here? Okay, he's speaking to the need of discernment. He's saying, the body of Christ, we have to be a discerning people. Right? And, and so I'm going to spend a little time talking about discernment. Okay, so this is the definition of, I, I pulled like three different dictionaries. Here's the definition. One, to judge well. Get this one, this is number two. Perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining direction and, under, and spiritual understanding. Whoa, perception in the absence of judgment, in the absence of right, wrong, it's perceiving, right? And then here's the next one. Quality or ability to grasp or comprehend that which is obscure. Whoa, you mean like the voice of God? <laughs> like, how do I know, right? We are not living in a day where it's black, white, black, white, black, white, right? It's obscure. It's like, Ooh, I don't quite have that. I have a sense, right? Discernment is the ability to sift through that, to judge and distinguish things well. All right, so in the context of the prophetic, right? And the, oh, this is the other thing, is discernment, who says I have the gift of discernment? Have you ever heard that? You, you don't. Because there's no such thing as a gift of discernment. <laughs> it's a gift of discernment of spirits. Whoa, never heard that. Discernment of spirits, that's what the Bible says. It's discernment of spirits, which means you have the ability to distinguish, to accurately discern, to divide what is of God, what is of the flesh, and what is of hell. 
Okay, so in the context of the prophetic, right, you have the ability to discern, is God speaking, is man speaking, emotion, carnality speaking, or is, is it demonic, right? Is it something that's intentionally manipulating me, right? That is what discernment is able to do, all right? Um, I have a gift of discernment on my life. Had it, I have memories as a little boy. I've always been able to read people. I have, mem- like, good things, bad things, I could always read. I could sense. And it's not like I look at you and I'm like, oh, I can read your mind. I'm not reading your mind. It's like I'm perceiving the spirits at play, right? And it's like this information comes in the back. If you want to see this at play, come watch the difference between first service and second service each week with both me and Jordan. It's different. Worship's different. Where we go is different. What we pray is different. How I preach is different. It's because I'm discerning where God's moving, does that make sense? There's times where it says you need to pray against this. You need to do this. You need to say this. Like, you're constant, right? And I want to spend just the latest gifts I have is discernment. You read people. You can discern spirits, right? And I want to spend just a little bit of time because I know we got to go soon. Yeah. Why, uh, why we need this. Okay, so the prophetic is opposed pretty vehemently in the body of Christ. There's a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts out there. And it's because life is in the voice. Hell wants us separated us from the voice of God. It wants to shut the prophetic down. And there's a fear that comes, okay? And I'm going to call this the fear of punishment, right? So I'm going to come back to this issue of poor prophecy, right? People, there's a fear. Um, and let me just say this. Poor prophecy is usually selfish ambition and self-promotion manifesting in you trying to prophesy. Um, it's like, oh, I really want to bless this person so that they really get blessed and they think I'm awesome. And uh, I've done that before many times. Oh, that sucked. Yeah, because it wasn't me. It was you, right? I'm not trying to give you my words. I'm not trying to exaggerate some type of goodness in this amazing word about your destiny, da, 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 da. That's where I perceive poor prophecy most of the time, right? And I've spoken to this. I've, I've corrected this. I've pastored this. Like, this is, it's not good. It's of the flesh, right? And some people don't like this, that the flesh has a place because the prophetic gives space. Do you see how I'm saying if you give people permission to be prophetic, the flesh will manifest? Because it's in there. Selfish promotions everywhere. Out there, in here, everywhere. I want it exposed in here so we can actually deal with it. Okay, so fear says this, though. Flesh, okay, there's flesh, there's poor prophecy, there was emotionalism, there was yada, 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 okay? And it says this, shut it down. Shut that down before something bad happens. I- I've had this conversation Many times with people, or I've heard it, where people, that's the, that's the expression, let's just shut this down because it's messy. And when the flesh gets involved, that's messy, and there, something bad's going to happen. Okay, this is the underlying assumption of that argument. Poor prophetic performance, prophetic failure will invoke punishment. And I just have a question for you. Does that sound like the father, or does that sound like the shame performance religious ecosystem I described last week? We all know this verse. It's the famous one. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is what we don't usually go on to read. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears has not been perfected in love. Religiosity demands perfection. But our Father is dedicated to bringing us progress. He's dedicated to getting someone that's operating in poor prophecy because of insecurity, because of pride, because of shame. I'm going to meet you right here. I'm going to take you step by step by step.
into maturity. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to speak the truth and love to you. But I'm going to love you into fullness. We grow at every single thing in this life by practice. Practice, practice, practice. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Practice violin. Practice your instrument. Practice your school. Practice your studies. Practice your sports. Practice, 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 practice. But some reason we get to the voice of God and you demand perfection. Who's feeding us that? That's not from dad. Right? And the fear, the influence is just shut it down. Then the mess will go away. Yeah, it might look clean. But then you have people like me. They're wandering around at night thinking they're crazy because they're hearing things. No one ever told them they could hear the voice of their father. Jesus gets mad at the Pharisees, said you stole the key of knowledge and kept people from entering themselves into the kingdom. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We have to have permission to hear from our father. I want this church to be the safest environment where people can fail over and over and over again as we're learning to perceive his voice together. And this is the thing. Instead of shutting down prophecy because there's flesh, there's carnality in it, this is what we're going to do. And, you, and I'll just read it, Hebrews 5. But solid foods for the mature who because of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So instead of shutting down the prophetic, I'm going to call us to be a people of discernment. Because when we're a people of discernment, uh, we are, uh, we're, we're discerning. We're discerning all the time, and then we're speaking the truth in love. Do you see why I preach on agape first? Speak the truth in love, and agape culture is one that honors truth-telling. If I'm a culture of discernment, and I discern someone operating in the flesh, first, I weigh everything carefully so I know this is flesh. I discard it. And then I ask the Lord, okay, what do I need to do to love them well? Right? Maybe it's go to a pastor. Maybe it's go to a leader. Maybe it's have an honest conversation. Like, do you see what I'm saying? We're speaking. We're loving one another from poor into excellent. And this has fruit not just for us, not for following Jesus. It has fruit in every aspect of our lives. But a discerning church uh, is not afraid. There's no fear. There's no fear. They're not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine because they know the voice of the one that made them. So I'm going to end. we got to be quick, okay? So you're going to have to end and you're going to have to get out of here is what I'm saying. <laughs> but I want to do two things. The first is I've... Uh, if uh, you say, I've, I've, uh, I think I've grieved the spirit, I've despised the prophetic in my life, I've let fear influence my thinking, I just want to give you um, to stand just as a time, just say, I'm repenting, God, I want you to change my mind. Um, if that's you, I just want to get you to stand right now, and I just want to say a prayer. So, yeah, praise God, it's beautiful. We're family, guys, this isn't about shame, this is beautiful. Yeah. So, Lord... Right now, we repent, God, and we just say, Lord, change our thinking. We didn't know. We were ignorant, God, and we just ask that you give us new knowledge, that you inspire our thoughts, and that you teach us to learn your voice in an environment void of fear. And we say, fear, get behind us. We're children of the king. We hear from you. 
And we, uh, we just say we're sorry, God, and we receive your forgiveness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give him a round of applause. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Um, and the last thing is I just want everyone to stand, and I'm just going to pray um, permission, just to release a permission. And I'm specifically going to pray for discernment, uh, that discernment will begin to rise up. And sometimes I think we don't use discernment because we don't realize it's like we got a tool on our tool belt we didn't know we can use. So, God, I just release permission into this house, permission to hear your voice, God, and permission to use the discernment you've given us so that we can create a culture that is safe, that is excellent, that is solid, God, and also where there is great permission. God, so I just release permission. Permission, 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 permission is granted. We thank you, God. We bless you. And we thank you that you are maturing us as a people into holiness, God, and uh, into good followers that hear your voice. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.